Hello, everyone. Before we begin the Church Basement podcast today, we are offering a warning. We will be talking about grief and suicide again today. As we have this conversation, we want to encourage you to take good care of your own self. If this topic is not one that is good for you to listen to today, come back another day or skip this podcast. We have plenty of others for you to choose from. In the meantime, if you need help on this topic, please reach out to a professional in your local community. You are important. You are loved. And you are needed in this world. Remember, God loves you no matter what. And so do we. We hope you'll stick around. Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic is Lot's wife. Grab a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Llewellyn, and I serve as a pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, so a few weeks ago, we were talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, in which we were very briefly introduced to Lot's wife. Yes. As I was editing that podcast, I just kept coming up with more questions about her and her story, and most specifically her ending. So we decided to give her her own podcast, which is more than she gets in the Bible because we don't really even know her name. No, we don't. I joked that we could call her Pillar or... <laughs> Many things, yeah. Salt, but mm-hmm. no, we that I am aware of, we don't have her name. If someone out there does know her name, please feel free to reach out to us and let us know her name. Okay, so just a brief recap of the story of Lot's wife. Sure. So Lot's wife is a woman who is married to Lot. Lot is someone who lives in the city of Sodom and is related to Abraham. And the angels go from speaking with Abraham and Sarah, they go to Sodom. And in speaking to Lot, they come to his house, they knock on his door to stay there in the kind of courtyard area. Lot says, no, 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 come in, come in, come in, come in, because that is something that the Hebrew people do. They bring them guests and visitors in. Mm -hmm. And this is where the people of Sodom say, no, send out the strangers so we can beat them up. And Lot says, no, no, take my two daughters instead. And all kinds of terrible things happen. God decides the people of Sodom are terrible and are going to be destroyed. So... The next day, Sodom is set for destruction. Lot, his two daughters, and his wife are the only ones who are going to be saved. And they are told, don't look back, just leave. Leave the city. And so the four of them are fleeing the city. And... This is where then Lot's wife, as they are fleeing the city, turns and looks back to see the city. And in that moment when she looks back to the city, she is turned into a pillar of salt and she dies and does not survive. There's so many questions I have about this. Mm -hmm. First of all, let's talk about the pillar of salt. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think we're supposed to read this as literal? Is this metaphorical? The first place when we were discussing this that it went was salty tears, right? Indeed. This is where in my doctoral work on metaphor, that's where Dr. Sweet took us. He said, you know, what are tears but salt? And that she looked back, she looked behind her, she looked at the past and got caught in her grief and looking backward and was caught in that grief and in her tears. She turned into, you know, caught by her grief and her tears and could not move forward. And that was his suggestion of the metaphor reference there, which is powerful. It's incredibly powerful to think about that we can easily get caught, especially in moments of grief, we can easily get caught looking backwards, looking back at a massive trauma that happened. If an entire city was destroyed, all the people that you knew were destroyed, and we see how the women, how her daughters were offered up, right? We see how the women in that city were being treated. We don't know what the situation for women in that city was. We don't know, really, we just get this glimpse and we don't know how many innocent people within that city were going to be destroyed. As feminine people, I think that it's easy for us to imagine and let our minds imagine what she would have to grieve about and to look backward and to turn from running and to look back on a city and to weep, to be caught in the grief of that and to not be able to look forward to a new life and to a new way of being and to a new city and to remaking everything all over again. This would be yet another move, yet another new life, yet another new start for her in yet another foreign land. It's, it's so relatable to think about getting caught in that grief and not being able to go forward and being turned into a pillar of salt, into a, a pile of tears. But tears can also be tears of joy. What they can. If she just couldn't take it anymore and just out of sheer relief that possibly some justice had been done and it was not necessarily joy, but Ooh. the relief right? Ooh, now that's a fascinating idea, isn't it? What if this was like justice and freedom? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, I hadn't gone there because Dr. Sweet, I mean, that was from a masculine perspective, of course. Sure. Yeah. That's a very interesting perspective as well to think that she was being set free. Mm hmm from this place. Well, and the patriarchal reading that I always had up until most recently is that mm -hmm. she was weak for turning around and looking back because she was told not to, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I thought that is particularly a quote-unquote weak thing to do if it was a curiosity issue or she just wasn't strong enough to do what she was told to do, mm. but I don't know. However, the other thing that you could think of salt in is people talk about rubbing salt in a wound, right? Right. So is this poor Lot's wife adding the insult to injury upon everything that she's ever done is now she's just a giant pillar of salt for all of her trauma and issues and problems? I don't know. I don't know, but I'm kind of, I, I'm really fascinated by this idea of 
like joyful release or hmm, that is fascinating. Going to make you think on that one a little bit, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I am definitely. So given this discussion, why mm-hmm. do you think she turned? Because she didn't have to. Nobody nope. else in the story does. Nope. So why do you think that she does? I think we can imagine a hundred thousand reasons and we don't have any scholarly like evidence. So for people who are listening, this is a total, I wonder, I notice this is a complete, we, we don't know why she did this. There's a curiosity reason, perhaps there is the, yeah, curiosity of, is he really going to kill everybody? He being right. quote unquote God, God. Mm-hmm. is, is God, you know, God, the God of steadfast love is God going to go through with this. There's what would the, it even look like? That would get yeah. me to turn. Yeah. What would it look like? Were there sounds? There had to have been. One would imagine. Was there a sound? Well, I mean, I don't know. Like You don't know. They show the plague in Egypt as being a silent wind that swept through, but then the cries of all the people in Egypt go up after the death of the firstborn, right? Mm-hmm. So is it that people were beginning to scream and cry because of death or was there like, how did the destruction come to Sodom? We don't know. Mm -mm. Was there flood? Was there earthquake? What was she looking back at? Now I'm curious, like, was she looking out of justice and vengeance or was she looking out of grief was she looking for survivors mm-hmm. innocent survivors or was she looking to see the people who would have harmed her and her daughters was she looking for them to have come to justice i don't know so curious yeah or if it was just a straight up i know that if i turn i will die And I don't want to go forward. No matter where this journey takes me, I'm done. I'm finally taking agency and I'm done. I don't know. That's a very fascinating. It it is in some ways a choice of death by suicide. Mm -hmm. Right. To say, if I know that this is a pathway to be done... And to not go forward with this person who was willing to give my daughters over to an evil town. And this is the way that I can be done in this world. Then I will make this choice for myself. And that is a form of agency. Mm-hmm. In a time when she did not have any. Yeah, the choices for agency for somebody in that time were limited at best. Yeah. But to choose like holy, holy salting... How? how mm. I mean, it would potentially be a kinder death than anything else she could have come across in that time. It's true. It's true. Powerful questions and a powerful image and its own kind of grief, its own kind of tears, its own kind of wound. Fascinating. Have you ever done a Bible study on this particular story? I haven't. I mean, on Sodom and Gomorrah, yes. And especially because it's used as, you know, one of the clobber texts for LGBTQIA exclusion, Mm -hmm. but not on Lot's wife. Like this kind of conversation about her and her story and her ending and her legacy, 
I don't see a lot of conversation around her. She kind of gets left because then, I mean, what happens to her daughters and what happens to her husband with her daughters Mm -hmm. really is a lot to deconstruct and talk about then. Mm -hmm. So she kind of gets lost in the mix. She gets lost between these two really painful stories, these two really difficult stories of broken systems, broken city and broken family system. And she is this piece of that that gets lost in there. When you were studying with Dr. Sweet, Mm -hmm. why do you think it came up then? Because it's a really interesting metaphor. I mean, that's what we were really focusing in on metaphorical study and semiotic language. And so semiotics being metaphor and symbol and pillar of salt really is a fabulous, powerful image. It is a strong metaphor. And so it's a really rich, powerful symbol. So yeah, we spent time with it there because you can do things with that. You can talk about all of this stuff. You can talk about grief. You can talk about tears. And that's the thing is metaphor in scripture gives that opportunity for the Holy Spirit to come through and really work and whisper and breathe in the text. And the Hebrew scripture gives a lot of room for that because Hebrew has a lot of space within the language for metaphor and for that kind of symbolism. Interesting. Okay, go with me on this one. Okay. In your mind, whenever you hear this story, is she like a pile of salt or is she like a statue made of salt? Ooh, because I can see reasons for both of them. And I go back and forth in my own head when I hear this story. Oh, what a good question. I've kind of imagined like a pile of salt, mm-hmm. but but it's a pillar. Yeah. And, and the so, pile of salt, I don't like that because then I can see the wind just blowing it away. And I want her story to have more relevance than being able to be just blown away. Right. Ooh, see how powerful metaphor can be. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because the spirit could just blow her away. Could. But she's a pillar. It would be worth doing uh, an actual word search oh. of the Hebrew to see what kind of... What the translation may bear. What the actual word is there for pillar. And if it is a word for something that is hard and statuesque or something that is like a large amount of. Mm -hmm. And just to see like, what does it do? Because it does give you a different sense, doesn't it? Something that could be Mm -hmm. like strewn about, like a pile of salt could even salt the earth and keep it, make it barren, Mm -hmm. which her tears making that land barren or her death making that land barren could also create some really powerful imagery and legacy. But her statue, there being a statue that either falls or erodes over time, is also another powerful legacy. Well, and even what that statue would look like, because I, again, go back and forth in my own head on whether or not it's a grief pose whether or not it's more of a power, like, you know, you're done. Uh-huh. And something has won over the evil that I have witnessed so far. Uh-huh. Like I said, 
I have no set answer in my head and it keeps going back and forth, but I was curious if anybody else even had questions. Or even a pillar that shows both sides of that. Sure. You know, both grieving and triumphant. I think of a widow who was at a witness cremation who pushed the button. And in that moment, as she was grieving the loss of her spouse very deeply, she also won over the cancer because she was burning that cancer and destroying that cancer, right? So it was the both and Mm -hmm. of that winning the war, having lost the battle, right? So how do you show that in a pillar, in a statue, and knowing that she would not see anything more, but that she had won, like, what could a pillar of salt statue of her be like? Isn't that, ah, what a great question. What a great (laughs) idea. Oh, delicious. Salty. All right. That's going to lead me to my last question. If it was you, Do you think you would have turned around or is it even worth trying to put yourself in those shoes or in that story, in that particular person? I don't think we know enough of her story to be able to guess because we don't know if the relationship between her and Lot was consensual or equitable. We don't know, right? There's just Mm -hmm. so much that we can't know that we can't imagine our own decisions within that situation. I don't think we can't know whether or not she had left friends behind. We can't know not whether or not there was any other family behind. We can't know whether or not there were rivals left behind. There's so much of her story that is missing. I think it's impossible to be able to know what our reaction would be to that situation. So I think I'm, Maybe I'm just now old enough to be like, I have no idea what I would do because every time when I was younger, I'm like, I'll never do that if I'm in that situation. And then you grow up and you get in that situation. You're like, oh Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm totally doing the thing I never thought I would do. Like I am eating the last yogurt. I am not leaving it for my kids. Like Mm -hmm. whatever, you know, like, yeah, never say never. So I haven't got a clue what I would do. I think my curiosity would have gotten the better of me and I would have turned around. I just would would have have to have known, probably as much have to have known how, how it happened as much as that it happened. Yeah. I am such a rule follower. Like I know myself well enough to know that I'm a rule follower. And yet that curiosity, ooh, especially knowing that story and knowing how much that story makes me mad, (laughs) I would just (laughs) have to know. <laughs> yeah. And the betrothed, like the daughter's betrothed, stayed behind. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there's just so much that they left behind. I don't know. I don't know. Fascinating. Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about Lot's wife. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you for all your questions and your imaginings. This was absolutely brilliant. If you have a topic that you have a curiosity, a wondering, a a noticing about that you would love to talk about or hear about, please reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook or email us at podcast at centralportland.org. We would love to hear from you. Until we are back in your ears again, remember... God loves you no matter what.